Welcome to Twice Five Miles Radio, fertile ground for conversations worth listening to and remembering. I'm your host, James Nave, always airing first on WPVMLP Asheville 103.7 and streaming online WPVMFM.org. The voice of Asheville heard all over the world and on other community radio stations like KCEI, Cultural Energy Radio, coming out of Taos, New Mexico. Thank you, Walter Parks, for our theme song, WalterParks.com. For more on Walter's music, Davine Dial, thank you for managing WPVMFM there on Wall Street, downtown Asheville. We do appreciate it. And if you'd like to reach out to me, Nave at JamesNave.com. Nave is spelled N-A-V-E. And I'd like to remind you, we're sponsored by the Imaginative Storm Writing Project. If you'd like to improve your writing chops, you can always visit imaginativestorm.com, and there you will find some tips on how you can do just that, improve those writing chops. So today I have a new friend, a guest, a woman who lives in Asheville. Her name is Erin Clare. And if you live in Asheville, you probably know the project that Erin is working on, the project she founded. It's called The Story Parlor, and it's on Haywood Road in West Asheville. And I noticed that building and that sign up a, a while back, and I thought the story parlor, what a wonderful idea. And the reason I was so interested in it is because I started my storytelling, poetry telling career at, at Jonesboro, Tennessee at the National Storytelling Festival years and years ago. So I was inspired by the storytellers a long time ago, and I was so happy to see the story parlor. And I dropped by there not too long ago for a for a reading, a poetry reading of all things. How about that? I love poetry readings. And and I had a chance to talk to Erin, and she was just so delightful. She even agreed to let me give a reading there, which I'm going to do very, very soon. Actually, I'm going to do it on June 25th, although the this 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 show will air just after that. So you missed it, but there's others coming. So <laughs> I would like to welcome Erin to the show. Erin, thank you for joining us on Twice Five Miles Radio. Thanks so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. And I would just like to start with the story parlor because that's where I first connected. I grew up in Western North Carolina. I grew up in West Asheville. And when I was growing up, we would come from Brevard Road to West Asheville to Fortune's Hardware, and we would get our get our screwdrivers and our nails, and I would get my hair cut at the at the local hair uh, local barbershop, which is still there next to the to the the biscuit factory, I think it's called. So where you are, you're around what's called Beecham's Curve, which is how we used to know that when I was was growing up. And I don't know what was in the building beforehand. You now have this beautiful listening room. And I would love for you just to start out by telling us why listening is so important to you. What, what is this all about? Why would you do such a thing? Mm, that's a great question. I think it's best to answer by kind of starting where the idea of Story Parlor was inspired from. And it, really, it comes from having a career and a hobby path that has been really immersed in the arts, primarily behind the scene, but also as a, a creative writer myself, and noticing that in the poetry, in the music, in the storytelling, in whatever art medium you're exploring, story is happening at a bilateral basis, meaning that 
first, whatever that poem is, is expressing some sort of story, is telling us something about the human condition, however obviously that might come across. But on that bilateral level, that second piece is that wherever that poem came from, wherever that story came from, it was inspired by your own creative DNA, your own lived experience, your own personal mythology. And so I wanted to um, create a space that merged this multidisciplinary approach to storytelling and how it explores all facets of creativity, the human experience, and in so doing brings people together, which I think comes back to this, this piece on listening. I think to, to be an artist and to be an active participant in this world, that is what it comes down to, the sense of awareness the sense of mindfulness, the sense of being receptive and open and opening and to that reverence of how you are in the world. And I don't think that there is a more powerful tool in our creativity toolkit than that. I think it deserves to be honored. It's painful me, to me to go out and see art that is not being paid attention to because I know how much preceded, you know, that step on stage, you know, in the process, in the exploration and, and bringing it forth. And so having a listening room space where that conversation can happen between audience and artist, I think is just one of the more transformative experiences that I've had on both sides uh, of the microphone. When you've been on stage as a presenter, what kind of thought process do you use to connect with your audience? How do you ground yourself as a presenter, as a performer? Mm, it's taken some time. I come mostly from a producing background. And so, you know, before Story Parlor, I was with the Austin Film Festival for many years and started to have to moderate panel conversations with writers who were at the top of their careers and just the most eloquent, brilliant, you know, people that I could be surrounded with. And it was a lot of pressure. I experienced a lot of imposter syndrome. And I think just like anything with creativity, the more you do it, the easier you kind of fall into line. Um, but I think that uh, I say that because it's important for me to still kind of have that rush of the heartbeat as I step on stage, because it's reminding me not only of my humanity, but that this matters and that I care about it. Do try and connect to that. Um, but in the things that we're programming through Story Parlor, we're really looking at how they speak to that human condition. And so I think that's the first piece in connecting with the audience is really looking at that through line, celebrating the similarities in our differences and the differences in our similarities and that kind of circular evolutionary kind of way that we are. And then, of course, there's stories, you know, bringing it back to the way that we've learned how to connect since the dawn of time. You know, how, how can this come back to some sort of anecdote, some sort of story to humanize me, to humanize the night, to humanize the artist you're going to be coming up? So talk a little bit about the idea of the imposter syndrome. Take us a little bit more into that. The reason I'm asking, I've heard other people mention it, and I would like to hear your thoughts on it, if you would. I think that we exist at a time like no other, where we are just so saturated with what everybody else is doing. 
And it's something that's always existed. I mean, if for anyone who exists within the creative sphere, within the creative world, we've heard that nothing is original. And I think that's been one of the more grounding anchors when I'm feeling like I don't belong or I have nothing original to say or I don't know what I'm doing. Really, that's where those feelings of imposter syndrome come up is when I feel like I'm green or that I don't know what I don't know. And the way that I've really worked through that as kind of a student of creativity and the creative process is that recognition that that is one of the more fertile grounds for becoming and for growing and for evolving and uh, really trying to embrace the gifts that a beginner's mind or the lack of knowing can bring forth. And I think all of this is really just a exercise in mindset. And there's a lot of reframing. There's a lot of just anchoring back. You know, I have a lot of little phrases that I say to myself to just kind of take me off of the plank and come back onto the ship and, and ride the waves. Talk a little bit more about the beginner's mind and how that is more than just a place where one begins. The beginner's mind is is that same piece that we were talking about in the beginning here, that openness to experience. Um, there's so many wonderful quotes and, and folks who have studied, you know, the, the power and the benefits and the gifts of the beginner's mind. Beginner's mind, there are many possibilities. And with the expert's mind, there are few. And that's always kind of landed in a really kind of give me goosebumps kind of a way because like I said, it goes back to that reverence, to that openness of experience, with which is what creative scholars say is one of the most important personality traits and ways of being in the world in order to have a fruitful creative practice and output. And so with the beginner's mind um, kind of applied to Things such as just speaking on stage or stepping into a classroom where I'm the facilitator. I think there's just this recognition that keeps bringing me back to it that I'm always a student first in whatever it is. There's always more to learn. There's always more ways to grow. And that is, that is the key to being able to do that. So speaking of beginnings and beginner's mind and coming back to the story parlor, you are here in Asheville. You came from Austin, as you told me, with your family and settled in Asheville. You would be considered one of the newcomers bringing a different kind of, not a different kind of perspective, but your own unique perspective to, to this community. So as a newcomer setting up an enterprise that's really ambitious, the story parlor, a listening room. I've worked a bit with you setting up my event that I'm going to do this coming Sunday. And you're very, very professional. You can tell, oh, this woman knows what she's doing. So tell us a bit about how you were called to move into this, come to a new town, family, set up shop and move forward. And how has it been? And the reason I'm asking is because other people out there hear the calling. I want to do this. I want to do that. But I don't know if I can or should. 
or, or if, if it's possible. So the beginner's mind, you started, you're here, but there must be more to the story. Yeah, there sure is. Here it feels like we saw the building within a few months. We had the keys in our hands and then we were opening just as COVID was starting to kind of uh, lessen the boil. Um, but the truth is it's been a, a decade at least in the making. The idea for Story Parlor happened uh, on a drive through Shenandoah in 2009, I want to say. And I'm trying to remember the name of this cute little cafe. It was like the Purple Fiddle or um, some color and instrument. And the whole place was just lined with these rocking chairs. And it had a very listening room kind of vibe. But on the calendar, there were all of these different art mediums that would be coming through the door and it was tiny and it was community community oriented and that was palpable in in stepping in there as an out-of-towner and that experience the drive back from Shenandoah to the DC area where I lived at the time um, this idea just started turning over my head you know that great question of what if what if there was a multidisciplinary art space? What would the kind of nucleus of that look like? You know, how could this be approached? And so I think that's where um, the idea initially hatched. Uh, and in its infancy, it was everywhere, you know, all at once and not contained at all. And then, like I mentioned, I worked at the Austin Film Festival for a number of years mostly managing their screenwriters conference, which grew to include playwriters and podcasters and um, folks that were using other mediums to break into the industry in some way. And that's where I started to see story in everything um, and how it was so informative to the process and to the audience's response to the product. I decided I was going to create a space in Austin. And so in 2015, I established uh, LLC for what was then called Story Bar and um, planned to quit my job the following year. And my boss stopped me and she said, you know, these things take time. She was the founder or is the founder of Austin Film Festival. She's like, I understand that impulse to just jump in and go, you know, 150% and then some, but tend to it, right? Plant the seeds. And so she worked with me where I was able to have in the off season, a couple of days off and started hosting events all throughout Austin. And so I got the experience of, what, is a, what does an event look like in a barn, in Google Fiber, in a restaurant, you know, to a bar, to, you know, how, all these different things. Throughout that, started looking at venues and, and what that process would look like in opening a space and the negotiations. And then started getting asked questions from people. Well, how can I tell this story myself? And so started really studying that. And all that to say in Austin, probably went through four or five legitimate lease negotiations with spaces. And for a multitude of reasons, it didn't work out. You know, one, a CVS came in and said, we want it. I couldn't compete with that. Dallas restaurant group, some structural issues. And then I found out I was pregnant with my first son. That was in 2018. And the big difference between Story Bar and Story Parlor is Story Bar was a bar with arts programming. 
and Surrey Parlor is arts programming with a bar. Maybe a small difference to some, but it's a huge, huge difference behind the scenes. And so anyway, um, running a bar became the last thing that I wanted to do after finding out I was going to be a mother. And so it became kind of just this vagabond roaming initiative, and it was working. Dream of having a space really kind of went on the shelf officially when COVID hit. And I had become kind of so disheartened, too, by trying, trying, trying and not, not sticking, that there was a little piece of, of that rejection that was um, centered to, you know, the whole experience. And so throughout all of this, having our first kid, we wanted to get closer to family who are all in the Northern Virginia, D.C. area. And so started to make the decision to move at the end of 2019 and the timing just so happens that we got here kind of at the top of COVID. Um, and uh, anyway, um, cut to moving to Asheville in 2020. And uh, then I had my second child in 2021. And on maternity leave, if you can call it that, as a self-employed person, <laughs> um, we were having tacos at Taco Billy trying to satisfy, you know, that Austin nostalgia of breakfast tacos and saw the building. And then the what ifs started seeping back into the conversation. And this time, everything felt much more um, natural. And uh, I don't love this word, but organic. And um, it just all happened without resistance. And I think uh, because there was such a huge incubation period to the project and so much learning, not only from the business standpoint, but my role, not having that ironclad grip on what every last detail would look like and releasing that, that was all really important because now Story Parlor is um, really got a megaphone up to the voices of the community, and it can't exist with any one ironclad grip on anything. It's got to be responsive. That's been a big departure from what that first business plan, you know, seven years ago really looked like. And so I think though it looks from the outside we came in, we opened, we're going. It has been a journey for quite some time. Tell us about how the different people come in and influence the scene. I saw the poetry reading there. I've looked at your, your site and you have many, many things going on. And then there's an educational component to it as well. So. How does education thread through all of these? How does how does it work? So this was also a little piece that was born out of the journey in Austin. Once we started having a newsletter, um, people would respond and say, how do I do this? How do I tell my story? And uh, I think it's so important to not leave that up to the refined and established artists. You know, when we can bring in the community at large and give them an opportunity and a platform to explore, there's that ripple effect of, you know, what creativity does to us as a whole. And I truly believe in that power. 
once I started getting those questions in Austin, first the imposter syndrome came, came in. I was like, well, I can't teach you how to do that. You know, the way that I've learned to tell my story kind of is working, but I hadn't been cognizant and deliberate about what that process looked like. And so started to really study that and went through three different creativity coaching certifications. I studied a couple of different personality modules and was certified in the Enneagram to get closer to what that childhood trauma, capital T, lowercase t looks like and how that manifests and ripples out into the fortitude that we have, you know, in our lives as adults. Um, and I'm about to finish my master's with a degree in psychology of creativity. So all of that is being poured back into the classroom space or the lab space that we have at Story Parlor through what we're offering through creativity classes, through storytelling classes. And the storytelling classes aren't how to tell a story on the stage. They're how to look at your life and repurpose your stories, reauthor your stories for creative bounty. Um, and so that's one piece. And then there's a whole element of Story Parlor that is our story co-op. And so in that, we have a handful of different creative schools and individuals who are also teaching things that they're incredibly proficient in. And so we have the Asheville School of Film, and they're offering directing and screenwriting and acting classes. Uh, we have Speaky the Improv doing improv classes. We have bilingual birdies who are offering music, language, and art classes for, for the little ones. And um, and yeah, I have giving them kind of a space to call home uh, on a weekly basis. And in return, you know, it's a very low kind of co-op rate that they have, but they are shepherds of the space and they uphold our mission. They're able to keep this space in the same kind of grasp as, as I would, you know, as far as making sure that everything's stocked, everything's good. If people pop in, they can speak to what it is and, and on and on. The idea is that creativity is for everybody and everyone has a story to tell and Story Parlor exists to bridge those two things together. And in that accessibility piece, you know, whoever walks through the door, if that's something they're interested in exploring, there's likely a home for them somewhere within these offerings. I'm wondering about the studies that you were doing with your master's work in the domain of creativity. I've started to lately think that the question that people always ponder or ask or the statement they make saying, I don't have a creative bone in my body. Our problem is that we have too much creativity. There is too <laughs> much creativity. This is what I'd like for you to reflect on. We have such an abundance of creativity that we were given at our birth an endless amount, vast. So it seems to me that when we talk about creativity from the point of view of art, we're talking as much about how, how does one shepherd and organize it? You word, use the word shepherd. You're shepherding the, the, the creativity in the story parlor. So what do you think about that idea of there's too much of it and we get confused because we have such an abundance and we need to must we must ask questions around the 
organization of it. How are we going to employ this? How are we going to use it? How will we expand what is infinite? That's so well said. And I think that that was the big conundrum I had when people started asking that question, how do I do this? Because I had not taken a step back to ask how I was doing it, right? To embrace that awareness, to bring that intention and attention to the process. And you're so right. You know, there's so much. And I think that it's easy to like fall prey to, you know, feeling incredibly overwhelmed by the palette of options that that are out there um, or feeling overwhelmed of not even knowing where to begin because you have this subconscious awareness that there are options, but not a conscious awareness that they're available to you and then what to do with them. And so I think, you know, there's certain things about the creative process that can help harness that in and create the container know the rules so you know where to break them kind of a thing. I think really goes down into first looking at what is the creative process. And there's so many different ways that that's been explored, you know, looking at everything from incubation all the way to evaluation and verification. But one of the ones I've really fallen in love with recently is from a professor of mine um, and an old friend from Austin. Her name is Dr. Melinda Rothhouse. And she and her collaborator, Charlotte Gulick, have created a model called the Syncreate model. And the whole model of creativity is play, plan, produce. And it's not this linear way of looking at it. They're all uh, very much fluid and intertwined, but at any point in time, some of these may happen. And so, you know, very simply within the play piece of it, you know, that's the big incubation and really kind of looking for ideas, exploring that uh, divergent way of thinking, and then moving into the planning, you know, okay, I've got all these ideas. And then like what you said, what do I do with it? and embracing that convergent way of thinking. How do I bring them down and contain them? And I think there's numerous ways to do that from kind of mind mapping a project to laying it down into a timeline. It's not the same kind of exciting, you know, wild wilderness of creativity that I think a lot of us are drawn to, but it's how you move from, you know, conception to completion is how do you actually put this in? And I think part of that and uh, in the creativity lab that we explore, and I know with your work with, with Julia Cameron and, and in your writing, coaching and your own writing, you have to be familiar with your, what your blocks are and where these resistance are coming from and the why that exists. And this is where the story piece comes back into play. You know, earlier I mentioned that story exists, you know, on this bilateral plane with one of it being how it informs your creativity, but that can happen for better or worse, right? You know, a childhood memory could spawn just the most incredible collection of poems, but it can also be responsible for what's holding you back from putting pen to paper because of messages you received that showed you how to survive as a young person or in whatever the circumstance that's no longer working for you within your scope of living now. And so part of that process, I think, is kind of bringing that inquiry with a beginner's mind even into why is it that I, speaking for myself, always bite off more than I can chew? What am I trying to prove? 
Where is this coming from? What does that have to do with my self-worth, with how I'm validating myself? And starting to get curious about all of those with a really compassionate lens. And I think that's so important because all of these blocks are essentially habits that we have been feeding and feeding and feeding as the story we're, as the stories we're telling ourselves being true and having veracity to them. And so I think in that creative process, looking at those is very important. So then you can start to put together the tools and the strategies and the techniques to know what to do when fear rears its head and accept that that's part of the process, right? I think there's this misconception that I can only create when the circumstances are perfect. And that's just not perfection is an illusion. You know, there's always going to be something, whatever it is. And so I think that embrace of the ambiguity and the paradoxes of creativity is important. And then that final piece of the, the sin create model that produce um, is also important and something that I've noticed in my work, a lot of people don't do showing your work, putting it out there. It's a totally different ball game, right? Than these two other pieces. And so, um, you know, what does that look like? How you, can you prepare yourself both with the work and with your mental, emotional, spiritual energy that goes alongside that. <laughs> That's a really great exploration into this. I do have a question about blocks. When I hear people talk about blocks, I never hear them discuss the different sizes of a block. A block is a metaphor. It's like, for example, if you come to the Boxed Canyon out west and you're looking at a thousand feet of solid rock you're pretty much blocked same time if there's a pothole in the road that's a block as well not as big so when you think about blocks as a coach creative co creativity coach do you think of blocks from different size points of view and do you feel like we're using the right word when we say block to describe this phenomenon of of, of a of the quandary that we feel when we get slowed down and not quite sure where to go? That's a really interesting question, if that is the right word. Um, and I've heard it called, you know, resistance as well, but they really do cover all manner of things. There's the block of procrastination, for instance. And when you're saying, you know, there's this spectrum that exists, both in size and kind of where they fall within your own um, approach to them. You know, with procrastination, sometimes that's not always a bad thing, right? You know, we might be, we might not be an avoidant out of fear. We might be giving the creative idea space to do what it needs to do on the subconscious level, right? That's so important. And so again, just bringing that inquiry, that sense of curiosity to what's at play, I, th I think that for these blocks, for these um, resistances, for whatever it is that you're you're latched onto, there's a story attached to it. So maybe that would be um, the word to explore. Really, is you know what is the story I'm telling myself? Because I think the way through working with these stories, working with these blocks, has everything to do with our mindset and our interpretation of our experience. Carol Dweck's work on mindset and what's fixed and what's growth is uh, incredibly imperative to the process. 
I think the pursuit and the exploration and investigation of meaning is incredibly important to move the needle. And it also reminds me of, you know, Pema Chodron's work where she talks about the ambiguity of being human and the importance of emotions, which of course is so essential to our creativity. You know, that's what links our human experience. But she talks about how the emotional experience that we have, those first 90 seconds is the authentic feeling. And anything beyond that is the story that we attach to it. And again, I think that exists for better or worse, right? It's a spectrum. And so it's all over the map. It's all shapes and sizes and uh, names and pseudonyms. But I would venture a guess that it's all boiled down to story. That's a great answer. And I'm glad that you are thinking about the blocks being all sizes. Because sometimes I think people just say, oh, I have a writer's block and then they see one block. So I think it's worth thinking about that. From the point of view of the different the different angles the different sizes the different ways you can look at the block it could be a troll in the middle of the road with a big club coming out of some sci-fi movie or it could be just a little mouse walking across the road that happens to spook you in this in in a moment and both are very different switching a little bit to a more personal focus on on your own work as a writer tell us a bit about aaron the writer, we know about Aaron, the entrepreneur, Aaron, the, the the founder of this story parlor movement. How do you come at your writing? What do you do as a writer to make it happen for you? What kind of stories do you love to tell? Since I can remember, and this goes back to journals, you know, in middle school, one of the biggest themes that I keep going back to again and again is this idea of existentialism and meaning being what we make it in a possibly meaningless world. That has sent me through ebbs and flows of freedom with the pairing of responsibility of what that holds to this kind of borderline nihilistic place that straddles multiple dark nights of the soul, I always land in the same place, you know, that there is just great beauty in the ability to forge uh, what meaning is to you and what purpose is to you. The other piece of that and something that one of my teachers, uh, Dr. Eric Maisel, teaches is this idea of having multiple life purposes, letting go of that there has to be this one giant meaning to life, this one giant purpose to your life and how you approach life and easing into the possibility that there are multiple purposes and that there can be multiple purposes per project, per day, per hour, per kind of uh, quadrant of your life. In that, I find in what I'm writing, which is all very autobiographical and true to self, whatever the kind of hierarchy top of the pyramid purpose is, is what I'm digging into and looking at that from an existentialist standpoint. And so recently I've been borderline obsessed with the idea of motherhood, or I have an almost two-year-old 
and a four and a half year old, it's very front of mind <laughs> through the COVID years and these just soft years. Um, but motherhood was never something I knew was going to be part of my path. I'm beyond grateful, and it's one of it's been one of the most nourishing, incredible ways of learning myself. But it, there's been a lot of questions and a lot of easing into it. There's nothing synonymous with motherhood and easing into it. <laughs> it is everything all at once. And so that's been a big piece of poetry, of short stories that I've been doing recently. I've also been getting into the saddle with shadow work and looking at ideas and theories from folks like Joseph Campbell and Carl Jung and how any light that exists cannot exist without the dark and what are we resistant to going back to these idea of blocks and then exploring that and where that comes from. And so there's been some uh, poems in particular that have been coming up recently that are asking those questions. But I do think anything that I write does start with the question and then finding just that way to explore it. Any chance you might have something handy you could read for us? Uh, okay, this is a poem called uh, Shadow Dance. Last night I left the house unkempt, toys strewn amiss, blocks wedged between the couch cushions, a banana smear on the carpet. The kitchen sink a homage to a supper shared hastily, the abandoned dishes destined to last longer than the meal itself. Savor these moments, they say, yet the moment will surely steal extra time I do not have. The pile of bills yelping out for my attention, Pick me, tend to me, as they join in the toddler chorus, while the old dog in a resigned heap by the corner raises a lone eyebrow, wondering if today we'll get to go for a walk. The morning last light cast from the warped window glass ripples on the wooden floor, a shadow dance reminding me that I am a shadow of who I once was, once unaged and unblemished, once unsure yet unafraid, once untethered but unfulfilled. Then upon both your arrivals, I birthed a new self, twice tethered, twice terrified, twice as messy and full. Savor these messes, they say, as I shove a third load of soiled clothes into the wash and sneak a damp cloth across your scrunched up faces to wipe away streaks of snot and strawberry stains that cling to your round, flush cheeks as if they were my own scarlet heart. Sometimes I travel back to the days before you, scar and care and fancy free, and... I don't recognize the girl who would eventually decide our collective fate. Somehow she and I and you two all ended up here where we belong. Time is funny that way. Just this morning in the frenzy between my temper and your tantrum, I was intercepted by a later self traveling back from a time yet to be held. Her house clean and quiet, you both grown and gone with children and scars and messes of your own. She was I and I was she, and we were overcome by the fleet of yesterdays beginning to outnumber tomorrows. And we grabbed you and squeezed you and inhaled you and loved you fully 
presently, exquisitely. For the self I had ahead whispered gently but urgently that she was coming for me sooner than I could grasp and to grasp on to what I could while it was still there. Very, very nice. It has specificity and range all at the same time. And I could sense the joy of motherhood and also the messiness of it as well. And you say that was a shadow piece. Mm, No, it just so happens to be called shadow dance. (laughs) That was not one of the shadow pieces. (laughs) Do you have a shadow piece you could read for us? Yeah, let's see. This one is called The Shift. My father paces above me, working, walking, a metronome man, a pendulum pusher, walking, working, walking. I pull my covers closer, my childhood bedroom. 10 p.m. turns to midnight, back when those 12 chimes signaled a nook of the night that was full of magic and mystery. But now I live the midnights of my father, pacing the ground as if it were my own mind walking to and from an endless array of hours to conquer and things to be done. This, now that, that, not this, this and that, this, 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 this is, this isn't this. This is something else outside of me clawing to get in, while what's inside, meanwhile, is clawing to get out. I'm not sure when it happened, but there's this swirling blur of midnights, and at once I am grown, my heart swallowed whole by my mind, so swiftly and suddenly, when only moments before, I still believed in moments. Like on the nights I'd crawl out my window to swim under the moonlight naked, or watch planes fly overhead and kiss a boy, fully clothed. Each night, each escape, a homecoming. I would wait for the footsteps above to be all consumed with the catalyst of their moment and of their movement, nothing to notice but the runaway mind. The moments come. I prop open the single paned casement, slide onto the cold packed dirt, scale the house, slip past the patch of overgrown garden where ginger, cinnamon, rosemary, oliver, and maybe a few forgotten fish and hamsters lay to rest. Hey, you guys, I whisper, treading gently above. What happens underneath, way down there, deep below, when a piece of you dies? Do the roots descend deeper? Do they rise from the ashes? Or do they simply get trodden upon from time to time on crisp summer nights when the runaway mind roams free? Anyway. I bid them farewell, for tonight is not for the past. Tonight, there's no care beyond the immediate heart. Beat, beat, beating, so ever absorbed by the present. No concerns for yestermorrow, none at all. If I were me now, being me then, I might wonder what those pacing steps walking to and from, were they paving my own path? Oh, if only I could have walked them then, maybe I know now where it is I'm trying to go. Thank you. Thank you, Erin. Well done. As we move toward the close of our time together, I want to just say thanks for all of your reflections on creativity in the Story Parlor. And I'd like to invite you to tell us 
what's coming up for the story parlor in the next six months and make sure that you let us know how we can all follow you and connect with you as you do this good work. Great. Um, yeah, we, we can be found at storyparlorAVL.com and on social media through Instagram at storyparlorAVL or Facebook backslash story or forward slash storyparlorAVL. Um, at this space, our co-op members have some great classes, which will be starting up again in the fall. So lots of comedy and improv and film and writing. Um, our creativity lab starts in September and runs for seven weeks, and then Story Lab picks up in November and December. Um, and beyond that, we have some great events coming up. And then we have a few recurring series that happen in the space. Um, Listen to This is a storytelling series that includes a stand-up comedy comic and some music. Um, and I'll be sharing a story at the next one, which is on June 28th. Um, we have a Liars Club show, which is comedians telling fake stories on stage. Uh, there are um, some concerts and some songwriters in the round. And then in July, we have our story arts residency. And that whole program exists to really bridge the diverse fabric of voices in Asheville. And so we find uh, artists who hails from an underrepresented community, and we give them the platform to tell their story in a way that connects with the community at a, in a larger sense. And so the artist that we have for this year, her name is Shunyu Wong. She's from the southern region of China, and she's presenting a three-week run of what she's calling Memory Quilt. And so each night will include a different sensory uh, anchor. And so the first one is taste and smell. Then we have sound and then we have touch and sight. And she'll have a few artists presenting work on those themes. And then it will open up to a community circle where members can share their own sensory items and stories and, and uh, creative work uh, kind of in that narrative uh, weaving of memory and and yeah the the calendar goes on we're already booking things toward the end of the year um but really trying to weave in art through all all, all mediums that is centered in this idea of uh, transformative storytelling well aaron thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy day with all those two children and family and life and story parlor and trips and all the stuff you do. I really appreciate it. And I'm looking forward to enjoying your venue from the point of view of being on the stage. Likewise, likewise. And thank you so much for the wonderful questions and your time today and looking forward to many more collaborations to come. So there you go, my friends. Thus concludes my conversation with Aaron Clare from the Story Parlor in Asheville. Since June 25th has already passed, I did my show at the Story Parlor. I'm going to air this and post it on SoundCloud uh, the first week of July. Actually, last week I aired the show, so if you tuned in last week, you were able to hear the show, the live show I did at the Story Parlor. And it was a wonderful show. I enjoyed myself no end. It was quite non-show-like. I didn't perform as much as... We gathered a bit like one would gather around a campfire and tell stories. So the story parlor, 
the idea of the parlor, the idea of gathering in a parlor, is a very meaningful, meaningful proposition. And I've been thinking a lot lately about this idea of how we trust ourselves, how do we trust our stories, and I hear that so much. And the memoir I wrote, the poetic memoir, 100 Days, poetic memoir after cancer, was fairly simple to write. It didn't take massive amounts of effort. And in that work, I really started to think about what is required for us to trust, trust ourselves. And when you're in a conversation with someone and they're talking about this trust business, this, this sense of I've got to be truthful, I've got to be authentic, I want to be more authentic, it's almost as if it's something that's been ordered up by a, a boss. You have to deliver more authenticity. I am starting to wonder, Maybe authenticity and truth is a little easier to access than we think. We were born trusting ourselves, and I keep talking on this show about what we're born to do and how we're born to do it and how much of what we think we have to acquire we actually came on the scene with. We were already, our suitcases were already packed and we were ready to go. And so what we're talking about, I think, when we talk about trusting ourselves, we're talking about a form of, ex of acceptance. Are you willing to accept yourself? Are you willing to accept the truth of who you are right now? And when you accept the truth of, of who you are in this moment, you're accepting your whole past. And our past is really what make up our memories. Our past, your past, my past, our past make up the memoir. So by accepting it, you automatically move into a serious depth of truth. It doesn't mean you have to be happy about it. it doesn't mean that you have to be sad about it. it doesn't mean anything other than it's what you have, and you can trust that when you stop and say, okay, I'm going to take this package, then there's great value in that. And one of the things that I've learned about truth is a great truth in accepting where you come from. So much of our culture takes us around all over the place. And yet, wherever you come from, whatever place you originate from, if you can somehow make peace with that, somehow look at both sides. So if you come from a small town and you think it's too small and you leave to the big city and suddenly the big city is gigantic and you long for the small town, you can be big in the big city if you allow yourself to wrap your arms around the smallness of the town you came from and claim wherever it is you are from. So there's a truth to that. There's a trust that you can have with that. And when you tell the story, whatever that story is, you can tell a story that's not all that complicated. Most stories that land 
are short and they're easy to understand. And when we as storytellers allow ourselves to trust our origins, to trust those beginnings, to trust the, the experiences. For example, here's a little tiny story from my boyhood. I grew up in the country on Brevard Road outside of Asheville, North Carolina. It's commercial now. My playground was the woods. One day I got in a big argument with my mother. I probably was eight, maybe seven, seven, eight, probably not nine. And I was in such a huff. So I stormed out and announced I was running away. And I went down through the woods, went down the path, went past the small little stream where I would catch lizards, occasionally flipping over rocks. And I sat under a tree in, in an orchard. Couldn't have been that far away, 100 yards, if that, 200. And I was so self-satisfied. And I sat there for about 30 minutes, maybe 40, not long. And I started to wonder why nobody was coming to look for me. And so my runaway, sitting there under that, that, in that orchard, lasted all of an hour. And I remember feeling so disappointed because nobody was calling after me. And I went back and resumed my life. Why I remember that little snippet, I don't know. But it's a great little story. How many times have we all tried to run away from something, to get away, to, to, to be rebellious, and then it happens and then nobody notices? Maybe it's never happened to you, but that happened to me. So that's what I mean about telling little stories, claiming the little things in your life. And when you tell them with a smile on your face, they become a lot bigger than they once were before you smiled and told the story. So. This brings us to the end of this story, our time together. And I would like to just say thank you for being out there. Thank you for supporting the Story Parlor if you are in Asheville. Thank you for supporting any of the artists, anywhere, wherever you are. Folks put their hearts and souls into making something and when they do, it's worth noticing. There's energy there and there's great value as well. So on that note, I will say, as I always do, you've been listening to Twice Five Miles Radio, fertile ground for conversations worth listening to and remembering. I'm your host, James Nabe, always airing first on WPVMLP Asheville, 103.7, streaming online, WPVMFM.org, the voice of Asheville heard all over the world, and on other community radio stations like KCEI, Cultural Energy Radio, coming out of Taos, New Mexico. Thank you, Walter Parks, for our theme song, WalterParks.com, if you're interested in more of Walter's music. And thank you, Devine Dial, for managing WPVMFM. We really do appreciate it. If you would like to reach out to me, Nave at JamesNave.com, good place to start. And like to remind you, we are sponsored by the Imaginative Storm Writing Project. If you would like to improve your writing, imaginativestorm.com is a great place to look. And on our way out, I would like to do just a little short improvisational poem for you. Sitting here in my chair looking out on a beautiful surrounding in western North Carolina. When the light begins its subtle drop below 
a green horizon, and I wonder why the day passed quickly like the starlight flashing in the sky. I just sit back and think how pleasant it is to breathe the air, summertime, the beauty of just being alive. Thank you ever so much for tuning in. Hope you tune again sometime soon. Till then, I'll catch you on that turnaround somewhere down the line.